Welcome back, U.S. History, for the last podcast of U.S. History. I know, you're all sad, but guess what? You could start over from the beginning. So anyhow, for this last unit, we're going to be talking about the 90s and terrorism. Not exactly ones that you would want to go hand in hand, but sadly, we're going to kind of see both of them here back to back. But we're going to start with the 90s. So, during the 90s, the United States experienced the longest and largest boom in its history. Technology stocks soared, and then they crashed by 2000. The economic expansion created a giant surplus. Uh, we had extra money. In 1999, we had $124 billion in surplus, one of the first times we've had that since before the 40s. So go America, we are doing great um, the 90s businesses started to move online and people started to have personal computers. I know, such a weird thing to think about. It's not like we have this thing called the internet, which is extremely hard to define, mind you, but I'm going to do my best. Um, so it's an enormous computer-based communications and information systems enables users to communicate worldwide, join discussions, gr discussion groups, and gather information from countless databases. Yeah, basically it's this giant online computer connection system, and it's awesome because it's allowing us to listen to this podcast right now. Um, and it actually, historically, originally has its roots back in the 1960s uh, from defense departments as a communication project. Then in the 90s, a Switzerland development group uh, made the World Wide Web, which just basically linked a ton of just information and pages together to one another. So anyhow, part of that internet and so forth, um, we start to see the uh, you know emergence of the American culture and how we're exporting it to everywhere because the 90s was all about pop culture is one of our biggest exports. Most notably, TV shows, movies, music, and food. McDonald's. Um, some people worry that our culture might suffocate other cultures. Uh, if you kind of remember back to cultural imperialism back in the early units of U.S. history. So, um, anyhow, um, back home in America, we saw a shift from a manufacturing um, like industry to more so service industries. And that kind of goes hand in hand with those computers. So anyhow, everything's going great with our culture. Things are booming. We're making tons of money. Surplus in 1999. And then tragedy strikes because we start to get into the September 11th, 2001 time frame. And our economy and everything just kind of start to go downhill. So let's do a somber transition um, into some of those things. So I'm going to start you off with the definition of terror because we're getting into terrorism and terrorists. So terror, uh, definition, an overwhelming feeling of fear and anxiety. Okay, So that guy kind of goes hand in hand with terrorism, which is our next definition. The use of violence and threats to intimidate or, co or coerce, especially for political purposes. Now, it doesn't have to be, but usually is politically motivated, because there's plenty of people that create terror but don't have political goals in mind. So one of the ones we're going to talk about first here is um, just a, a comparison, really. So the Unabomber, for example, all right, solo campaign of terror, criminal terrorist, revolutionary, depending on how you want to look at him. 
Now, on the other sound, on the other end, the founding fathers, terrorists or revolutionaries. The Boston Tea Party, kind of, you know, damaging stuff, creating terror from the British in order for political change. I guess it's all kind of how you ask. I mean, the British, they might consider the founding fathers terrorists. Now, I don't want you to be like, oh, Mr. McCune's calling the founding fathers terrorists. That's not the case at all. It's just kind of a matter of opinion, I guess, on who you ask. So... Now, on the other end, some people argue that it's really the morals behind the attacks or the acts is what matters. So it's kind of more the intent of the action that matters, not necessarily the action itself. So if, if you're doing this for a nefarious mean, uh, nefarious reasons or something like that, well, then that kind of means it's more terrorist. But if it's like unintended, I didn't mean to create terror, but I still did, well, that's maybe not terrorism. So kind of building off of some of these terrorist acts and so forth, um, some more definitions for you. Here's one, collateral damage, and that is unintended damage from an attack. So some people say that a military target that is targeted and destroyed for military purposes, but civilians die in the process, is no different than terrorists planting a bomb with the intent on killing civilians. So, uh, for example, collateral damage... Um, we dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, back in World War II. The goal was to end the war. Was there collateral damage? Yes, many civilians. Did it create terror? Yeah. So is that the same as a terrorist act or not? And, I mean, and that's where a lot of these definitions and everything become a little muddled. So here's a little quote for you. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So it's, like I said, kind of... A matter of perspective. So before we get up to a full-fledged uh, 2001, September 11th, and go into that, um, I'm just going to do a quick little kind of recap of terrorism in the United States. So it's a pretty broad subject, and you know, if we, if we looked at the world, it would be even bigger. So I'm just going to kind of go over a few things from U.S. history here. So we kind of started sophomore year U.S. history um, talking about, you know, the picking up the pieces after the Civil War. And the, the government be began to kind of enforce equality, but certain groups emerged that didn't want this equality, naming lead the Ku Klux Klan, who used terror to achieve their goals. So I would consider them terrorists. Um, following up, September 16th, 1920, Wall Street bombing, a horse-drawn wagon filled with hundreds of pounds of uh, dynamite, TNT, was stationed across from the headquarters of the J.P. Morgan uh, Incorporated Bank. Uh, when the bomb went off, it killed 38 people and injured 400. Now, no one was ever found guilty, but I have my own theory. There was a horse involved with the horse-drawn carriage. Just putting that out there. Um, also, in the 1920s, uh, there were there was an intense fear of communism, if you remember the Red Scare, and there were bombings uh, in the United States during this time, and that kind of led to the Palmer Raids, and eventually um, there was some other people that were arrested as suspicious of being, you know, possibly connected with the bombings and uh, the robbing of a, uh, of a, of a shoe place, uh, like a guard, uh, and that was Sacco and Vanzetti, if you remember those. Fast forwarding a bit to the 1960s and 70s. Commercial air travel became more and more popular and affordable, so we started to see hijackings or skyjackings uh, during this time. Now, these were not always motivated by political means or intentions, so 
maybe not exactly terrorism, but there were other groups during this time, like the Black Panthers, the Weathermen, the Sibonese Liberation Army, um, who famously kidnapped the newspaper heiress Patty Hearst. If you remember, the Hearst family was brought up back in our imperialism unit. Um, and that Weathermen and Weather Underground that we talked, uh, that I just mentioned, we brought them up in our Vietnam unit because they started in 1969 and they wanted to destroy U.S. imperialism and usher in a classless world kind of communism type viewpoints. And they thought the way to achieve this was by bombing mostly government buildings and a few banks and whatnot. And they would warn the banks before, or warn the places before the bombs would detonate. So they didn't really kill anyone to get their message out. Uh, but they definitely used terror to get their message across. And most of them were caught by 1985. All right. The 1980s through 90s, the, probably the most notable person in this time was this Michael Bray, who led a group called the Army of God. And he spent about four years in jail for abortion clinic bombings in the 80s. So using terror to kind of, you know, get his political beliefs of anti-abortion across and so forth. Continuing the 90s, February 26, 1993, we had the World Trade Center bombing, the first one. Now, a lot of people don't know that there was a first one, but there was. A bomb went off, leaving a 100-foot crater several stories deep and high, um, just kind of next to World Trade Center, kind of below it area. Um, six were killed instantly, and more were injured by the flames and smoke. Now, the building stood strong. And the idea was that, this, that they would kind of detonate this thing and it would kind of mess up the, the internal structure base of the tower and one of the towers would crash into the other World Trade Center tower. Now, the FBI was able to recover part of the vehicle that was used to house the bomb and they got an identification number. And the vehicle was rented um, to a Mohammed Salamah, and I apologize for pronunciation here, um, and the U.S. arrested this guy on March 4th um, as he tried to get his $400 deposit back on the vehicle that he blew up. He did not get that money back. Um, eventually, we arrested three more suspects, um, and we also found an apartment and a storage locker uh, that had enough cyanide gas to wipe out a town along with harmful other, other harmful chemicals. The four men were tried, convicted, and sentenced to life imprisonment. So that was 93 there. And moving on to 95, April 17th, was the Oklahoma City bombing. And Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols were the ones responsible for this. And they bombed the Alfred P. Murrah building. And Oklahoma City uh, killed 168 people. And the idea motivation behind it was revenge against the federal government, who they believed was too oppressive and so forth. And McVeigh felt that this government just was too intrusive and oppressive into the general lives of the people. They wanted a much smaller government. Uh, McVeigh was convicted and sentenced to death. And then that brings us to September 11th. And just to kind of give you a little idea, everything started around 8 a.m. Now, things had been planned ahead of time, but... Um, just trying to go over some of the kind of the big ones here. So basically, 8 a.m., uh, Flight 11, Boeing 767 with 92 people on it aboard, departs from Boston Local International Airport bound for Los Angeles International Airport. 8.14 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175, a Boeing 767, 65 people on board, departs from Boston, uh, from Boston heading to Los Angeles. 8.20, Flight 77, 
a uh, Boeing 757, 64 people on board, uh, leaves Washington and is heading to Los Angeles. Uh, by 8.40, the FAA notifies NORAD, uh, Northeast Air Defense Sector, of a suspected hijacking of Flight 11, which was the first one I mentioned. Uh, Flight 93 takes off at 8.42, which is a Boeing 757, 44 people on board, uh, departs from Newark, and is heading to San Francisco. All right. 8.43, um, FAA thinks that there's something going on with Flight 175. Um, uh, then by 8.45, Flight 11 crashes into the North World Trade Center Tower, Tower 1. Uh, by four, uh, 8.46, jet fighters have been scrambled from OTA's uh, Air National Guard Base in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Sorry for my pronunciation there. By 9.03, uh, Flight 175 crashes into the South World Trade Center. So this is roughly an hour after the planes have taken off. Both towers have been hit by this point. By 9.08, the FAA bans all takeoffs of further flights through New York um, airspace. Uh, I'm sorry, all flights um, of flights going like anywhere near New York airspace. Uh, uh, 9.17, FAA shuts down all New York City airports. Uh, 9.21, all bridges and tunnels into Manhattan are closed. By 9.24, the FAA notifies NORAD uh, that they're worried about a hijacking of Flight 77. By 9.25, orders are sh um, to shut down all airports nationwide has gone off. This is an hour and a half, almost an hour and a half after uh, the first plane was hijacked or took off, I should say. By 9.31, George W. Bush makes a statement from Emma Brooker, uh, Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida, calling the crashes an apparent terrorist attack. By 9.40... Uh, Flight 77 crashes into the west side of the Pentagon. By 9.45, an operator receives cell phone calls from passengers on United Airlines Flight 93 who report that the flight has been hijacked and they are going to try and fight back. In 9.59, the South World Trade Center Tower 2 collapses. 10.07, uh, Flight 93, which was the one that had been hijacked and the people were going to try to fight back, uh, crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. By 10.28, the North World Trade Center Tower 1 had collapsed. So basically two and a half hours after the first plane had taken off, um, the, the planes had all crashed at that point, um, and the towers had collapsed. Um, in total, at least uh, 2,985 people had died in September 11, 2001 attacks. That's 2,966 victims, um, and actually that number is going up a little bit. It is 2,998 as of the spring of 2009. Um, 19 terrorists are also included in those totals. Um, the reason the numbers are keep going up is because there's complications that people suffered during September 11th that have, um, have basically gone to earlier death for some people. The Pentagon, 125 people were killed inside the Pentagon, 64 people on the plane, and five hijackers with a total of 189. And the person responsible for all of this was Osama bin Laden. And he was the leader of the terrorist organization known as Al-Qaeda, which means the base. And they were responsible for all of this. And Osama bin Laden, if you look at his history, he's been involved with a few things over several years. Um, there's implications that he was part of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The 1998 bombings at the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania, which killed more than 200 people. The 2000 bombing of the USS Cole in Yemen. Um, he has also claimed responsibility for the 1993 gunfight that killed 18 U.S. troops in Somalia. The 1996 bombing of the Kobar military complex in Saudi Arabia. 19 U.S. troops had uh, lost their lives there. 
And just to give you a little bit more on this guy, um, he was born in Saudi Arabia around 1957. His family was very wealthy, billionaires. Um, his father, Mohammed bin Laden, uh, numerous wives and fathered around 50 kids. We figured that Osama bin Laden was either 17th or 25th, kind of a big gap there. Um, he studied management and economics in college. And in 1979, uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, um, Osama supported the Afghan, Afghanistan resistance, and which the United States was kind of part of. Uh, during this time, the U.S. set up Islamic schools in Pakistan for Afghan refugees. These schools later kind of evolved and changed into training centers for Islamic radicals. Not the U.S. say so by any means. And the... Um, there was a group during this time that started to emerge, which I'm going to be talking more about a little bit later on, which is um, the Taliban. So I'll kind of come back to that. So, but this war in Afghanistan ended um, in 1989, and there was just kind of a vacuum of power within the region and uh, Afghanistan in general region. And many groups were trying to have control over it. And in 1999, one group the Taliban, uh, had captured most of the country, and this group gave Osama bin Laden sanctuary in 1996. And the Taliban, they had controlled the country from 1996 to 2001, kind of. Now, they're still around, but you could argue they really don't have the same level of control that they used to. But their rule is kind of categorized as strict Islamic law, kind of similar to that of ISIS, almost. Um, but women are to wear head-to-toe veils under their rule. At least that's what they felt. They banned TV. They didn't want any kind of foreign culture coming in. Uh, they jailed men whose beards were deemed too short. Destroyed a giant Buddha statue in Bamiyan uh, just out of complete religious intolerance. So just to give you a little history of the Taliban there and whatnot. So the next question we kind of come to is, why did this, why did the Taliban, why does Osama bin Laden, why do different groups in the world hate the United States? And the trouble is this, there's no one answer to it. And a couple little things I thought I'd share with you as far as like maybe some reasonings why different countries don't like us or different groups don't like us. Um, this kind of an interesting way to look at it. I'm going to go over a few different things, kind of make up your own mind, but I'm going to go over a few of them here. So... Um, anyhow, this is just a little kind of a, a kickoff here before I go into some more in-depth. But up until the morning of September 11th, the people of the United States of America led routine lives. All aspects of this society were attempting to advance the society to the new economic and social heights. The motive for the terrorists that day was to try to disrupt the machine, which is the American society. By doing this, they hoped to cause chaos in which America would fall socially and economically. This is why they chose a highly populated economic icon and the center of our military power as targets. So I'll give you a little bit of time to think about that. And in the meantime, I'm going to just do a little finish up on Assad bin Laden because we were able to um, uh, take him out, so to speak, um, and bring him to justice. So he was killed on May 1st, 2011, and uh, he was in Abbottabad, Pakistan. A group of American special forces went in without Pakistan's knowledge, mind you, to take him out. Uh, which was a little bit of a sore subject, but we, we told the world, like, look, we find him, we're going after this guy. And the special forces included a canine unit with titanium teeth, which I thought was, like, kind of cool. Um, 
Anyhow, um, he was shot in the head and pretty much killed instantly. Five people died, uh, including Asama's adult son and a woman who was being used as a human shield. And his body was put to rest 24 hours after death um, because most Middle Eastern cultures and religious groups within the group, um, you know, exercised that the body be put to rest within 24 hours. And we did not want to make any groups uh, angry about treatment of, of the body or anything like that. And we gave him an at-sea burial so that his body would, um, or you know, his, air, excuse me, the area at which he was like, in turn, would not be turned into any kind of like uh, pilgrimage area or place to, to, to worship or something like that. So um, anyhow, that's kind of the, the quick version of, of, of his death there. And you know, we'll go over that more in class, of course. So now, hopefully I'm going to kind of revisit that idea that, you know, they wanted to get America to fall far from grace as far as like what was the intent of Osama bin Laden and some of those other groups. So why, why, why did people want to hurt us? So here's a few different reasons that kind of elaborates on what I addressed earlier. Whoever is in charge, whoever is powerful or successful will be hated. All right. You know, they basically just they hate the person who's on top. And... You know, don't hate, you know, maybe the, the best way to kind of think of it or to, to kind of to stop this from happening is don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, just because America has succeeded in life doesn't mean that people should hate us. Now, just a quick little note. I know that this podcast is getting a little bit long. We're at the 21 minute mark. I'm going to go just a little bit longer because I'm almost done. And I don't want to record another like just six minute podcast. So bear with me. We're almost done here. Um, so this next idea of maybe why different countries don't like us, um, is kind of a little story explanation. In 1998, um, in response to embassy bombings, America attacked a pharmaceutical factory in Sudan that was linked to Osama bin Laden for chemical weapon productions. A, a few injuries occurred, but the people who saw this, they said, look, America is going after our medicine. How dare they, they those jerks? Well, America was going after people that make bad chemical weapons that might also do some medical stuff or at least pretend to so it's a double-edged sword like we're going after the bad people but the bad but other people don't realize that they're the bad people so that's one reason another one 1997 the landmine ban treaty 138 countries signed this treaty that would be removing landmines treating victims and destroying stockpiles the united states didn't sign it and people were like you jerks well, we probably would have signed it, but there's one reason we can't, and that's the 38th parallel, which separates North and South Korea. And we have so many mines there to keep the North from attacking the South, so that's why we didn't do that. <laughs> um, now, also, another reason, you know, kind of building off these, sorry, I'm kind of throwing a match of one after the other here. Now, there hasn't been any war since basically 1945. Now, I know there's been wars, Korean War, Vietnam War, and some other stuff, of course. There's no been real big war that really has involved all the major powers. There's been some smaller ones and stuff. Um, you know, 23 million deaths, which is tragic, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, World War II had something like 75 million deaths. And that was just over the course of a relatively small time period in history versus... 23 million deaths over a long time. We just haven't had the big mass of wars like we did with World War II, which is a good thing. That being said, the top five countries during this time of the United States, Russia, United Kingdom, France, and Germany 
are like the top weapons exporters during this time. So the groups that are fighting and killing each other, they're all getting weapons that are being made in the United States. So, you know, the government is selling all these things and we're giving them to countries that maybe are not doing the best things with them. So we think, you know, the thought process, it's basically okay to sell weapons to a government if that government is using them to maintain order and secure peace. The trouble is these weapons don't always find themselves into the right hands. And so sometimes these big five that I mentioned might give training or weapons to rebels to topple an enemy government, and that ends up creating some terrorist groups. Like the United States, we aided Iraq in the fight against Iran, and then eventually we had to fight Iraq. United States, we support Afghanistan during the Soviet invasion and accidentally kind of helped out the future kind of Taliban setup almost. Um, not too long ago, um, relatively speaking, um, in, a, in Egypt, there was a group that was kind of protesting and wanting democracy, and they got hit with tear gas canisters that said, made in the USA on them. So it kind of sends mixed messages. We want democracy. Boom, hit upside the head, tear gas canister. Made in USA, a bit ironic. So, um, mentioning earlier about in the 90s how America was all about spreading our culture, well, many groups don't like America's culture and feel that we've become too pervasive in, in their cultures. And they don't like all this. They see that young people in their cultures are becoming uh, degenerates or immoral because of American imperialism. So, our cultural imperialism is too much for some of these countries. So all of these reasons, and there's more that I've left out, are some of, some of the big things of why people don't like the United States. Now, we are trying to do our best to keep ourselves safe from this. And some of those things um, kind of relate to tightening up the U.S. borders. It's, very, it's more difficult to, be, to enter the United States now. There's been talks of implementing citizen IDs on a nationwide scale, so everyone has like your national ID, not just a driver's license. The TSA uh, has put up scans at airports that do those full body scans that kind of see everything under your clothes. Uh, we're supposed to take off our shoes and belts at airports. We're subject to pat downs. We're not allowed to bring liquids on. All these things are kind of a response to what happened on September 11th. Um, we're supposed to uh, check bags outside of airports now. Some of them do this, not all of them. Um, and they, they try not to let as many people gain access to the inside uh, of airports as much anymore. Um, and some of the things I've been reading that, you know, the United States were very reactionary. If a guy brings a shoe bomb to an airport, now we're supposed to take off our shoes, but we didn't have to before. It's the same thing with like a liquid bomb. Now we can't have any more water bottles, but why weren't we thinking of this ahead of time? So some of the changes that we're, we're trying to do is, you know, kind of be more proactive in fighting the terrorists. So less satellite information and more infiltrate and interrogate. Um, educating our citizens so that if we see a package that is left unattended, we should do something about it on the now. Um, we're encouraging families to have plans, you know, like where would be a safe place to meet in case something bad happens. So, you know, if all if all uh, cell phones were shut down in the country, like, how would you get a hold of your family? Where would you meet? Where would you go? And it's so difficult to figure out, you know, what, what's, what's going to happen next? Where's the next attack going to be? 
You know, so for instance, um, Muhammad Asman Muhammad, um, he was trying in 2010 to do a Christmas tree uh, lighting ceremony. He was going to bomb it in Oregon. And a little quote from him, which is a little scary, it's in Oregon, an Oregon like, you know, no one ever thinks about. So it's so difficult to kind of kind of stop some of these things when we don't know where they're going to be and where the attacks are going to happen. And so the last little question I want to leave to you before we wrap this all up is, you know, should terrorists be given rights? When someone creates terror and someone ends someone else's life, are they afforded the same type of rights as everyone else in the United States? So that's a little question I'm going to leave you with there. And I'm going to end up this podcast right here uh, for all of U.S. History Podcasts. I should hopefully go back and listen to some of them. But I hope you've enjoyed these and I hope they've been helpful to you. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. Otherwise, have a wonderful day.